0: This is Donald Albright, president of Tenderfoot TV. On this MLK Day, I'd like to introduce you to our new podcast called The MLK Tapes. As we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King, it's important that we better understand the strange circumstances around his death. The MLK Tapes explores who murdered Dr. King and why. While some answers have emerged over the past 50 years, others have been hiding in plain sight. For some, the assassination of Dr. King is pure conspiracy theory. But the 1999 civil trial proved otherwise, finding that a conspiracy not only took place, but that it involved unnamed government agencies. Dr. King's incredible life expands much further than what we've been told in our history books. I invite you to learn more by checking out Episode 1. From iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV, this is the MLK Tapes.
1: In August of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to a crowd of more than 250,000 in Washington, D.C.
2: So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream.
1: His iconic I Have a Dream speech is one of the most famous speeches in history, and one you're probably familiar with. Nearly six decades later, a few hand-picked sentences from that speech have come to define him in the popular mind. But King was not afraid to travel more dangerous roads. Four years later, at Riverside Church in New York, Martin Luther King would give a speech that wasn't about the fight for civil rights in America. It was about the horrific war in Vietnam, and it may have cost him his life.
2: This business of burning human beings with napalm sending men home from dark and bloody battlefields, physically handicapped and psychologically deranged, cannot be reconciled with wisdom, justice, and love.
1: King's speech that night shook the country. Many thought he had crossed a line by speaking against the war. He was supposed to stick to civil rights. Life Magazine called his speech, demagogic slander that sounded like a script for Radio Hanoi referring to the radio station in communist North Vietnam. And for some, King's speech was an act of treason. A year later, to the day, Martin Luther King, just 39 years old, would be dead. My name is Bill Klaber. I'm an author and researcher, and most recently, co-creator of the RFK Tapes, a podcast about the assassination of Robert Kennedy. I was in law school when Dr. King was shot. My first thought was that hidden forces, perhaps in our own government, were likely behind the murder. But then a man named James Earl Ray was arrested. He pled guilty to the crime and spent the rest of his life in prison. He was a lone gunman, we were told, brought to murder by racial hatred. And that's been the official narrative for over 50 years. It would be decades before I discovered the real story behind the murder of Dr. King. It came to me in boxes, cardboard boxes with dozens of audio tapes.
3: Just as he got to the door, a shot rang out and somebody came out of the bushes and handed him a smoking rifle. And he broke it down and wrapped it in a, a tablecloth and put it back in the store room
2: when I heard the shot, when I saw him get hit, and when I saw him go down. Now, I'm no doctor, but there was no question to me that the man was hit hard. I mean, he was hit hard. So I immediately turned around and go that direction. It was like once the shot went off, it was every dog for his own.
1: Every dog for his own. The voices on these tapes are from people who were there. People who in the passing years have overcome their fear to speak about what they saw, what they heard, and in some cases, what they did when Martin Luther King was killed. Welcome to the MLK Tapes. Dr. King's assassination is a critical moment in American history. Let's go back to March 1968. In his campaign to fight not only for civil rights, but for economic justice, King had come to Memphis to support the sanitation workers in their quest to form a union. Striking workers peacefully carrying signs that said, I am a man, was an image they hoped would penetrate the conscience of the nation. But this hope was shattered when the peaceful march King had wanted to lead was disrupted by rioting. Rioting that may have been set off by people sent in to start trouble. And because of the awful images coming out of Memphis, King's critics were now saying that he had lost control of his movement, that he could no longer lead a peaceful protest. So he returned to Memphis to support the sanitation workers and prove his doubters wrong. Dr. King, uh, your march here on Monday has apparently been enjoined uh, with a federal injunction. If that holds up,
4: what are your plans? Will you march or not?
2: We do feel that it would be a basic denial of First Amendment privileges to have an injunction take effect that would prevent us from marching. We stand on the First Amendment. And uh, in the past, we've, on the basis of conscience, had to break injunctions, and that may very well happen in this situation.
1: But breaking an injunction was not King's only worry. By returning to Memphis, he was also putting his life on the line, and he knew it. It's the evening of April 3rd, as thunderstorms rage outside Martin Luther King speaks on behalf of the sanitation workers to several thousand followers in downtown Memphis.
2: That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? The question is, if I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question.
1: But there was something else that needed to be put into words. King's plane into Memphis had been delayed by a bomb scare, and threats on King himself were an increasing almost daily occurrence.
2: And then I got into Memphis, and some began to say the threats. i talk about what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers.
1: His words that night were a chilling foretelling of his own
4: death.
2: Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land.
1: King didn't look away. He could feel what was coming. The next morning, King's Lieutenant Andrew Young went to court to challenge the injunction prohibiting the upcoming protest march, while King mostly stayed around the Lorraine Motel and met with people who came and went. Late in the day, Young returned to report that they had won. The march could go on. That was happy news because a soul food dinner was waiting at the Reverend Billy Kyle's house, and everyone could now relax and have a good time. At 6 p.m., Martin Luther King stepped out of room 306 onto the motel balcony on his way to the dinner. As he waited for Ralph Abernathy to join him, he watched below as the diminutive Andrew Young shadow box with the Reverend James Orange, who was six foot four and near 300 pounds. Don't hurt him, Andy, King shouted. Then King spotted Ben Branch, a musician who was to play at the party after dinner. He asked Branch to be sure to play Precious Lord, take my hand. Play it real pretty, said King. There was a sudden sound like a firecracker and Dr. King collapsed. Abernathy ran out of the room and knelt beside the fallen King. He cradled his wounded head and saw, as he put it, the understanding drain from his eyes. By the time Young arrived, blood was everywhere. Oh, God, Ralph, he said, it's over. Police have
2: issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men.
1: King was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital, where he died within the hour. Meanwhile, out on Main Street, the police would find a rifle in a box near a mysterious bag. In the bag were binoculars, nine bullets, a transistor radio, a pair of pliers, a couple of beers, and a copy of that day's newspaper. On this evidence, investigators would find the fingerprints of a man named James Earl Ray, a fugitive who had escaped from prison the year before. They also discovered that a man fitting Ray's description had rented a room at a boarding house near the Lorraine and had access to a small bathroom with a line of sight to Dr. King's position on the motel balcony. So the Memphis police now had a suspect. But where was he?
4: An enormously wide police hunt is now going on for an unidentified 30-year-old white man who has been reported to be driving a large, fast, white sports car very recklessly.
1: It took two months to find him. But finally, on June 8th, Ray was arrested at London Heathrow Airport with a fake Canadian passport. The 40 year old petty criminal and escaped convict was brought back to Memphis. At his arraignment, Ray was charged with the murder of Martin Luther King. He pleaded not guilty.
3: If, um,
1: wishes to a plea of not guilty. Of course, criminals commonly plead not guilty, so Ray's initial plea doesn't mean a thing. It was rumored that Ray had killed King out of a vicious hatred. But no one knew for sure, because for the next eight months, Ray was held incommunicado. The only persons allowed to see him were his attorney and his brother. So what most people didn't know, and as a supposedly informed law student I didn't know, was that while admitting he was in Memphis that day, James Earl Ray always said that he did not shoot Martin Luther King. Ray wanted to go to trial, even though he knew that if he could not convince the jury, the penalty was likely to be the electric chair. He didn't care. He said he didn't do it and he wanted his chance to prove it in court. Ray's famous criminal defense attorney, Percy Foreman, came on saying that Ray's case would be the easiest one he ever argued. But as Ray's trial date approached, Foreman suddenly changed his tune and pressured Ray to plead guilty, which he finally did.
2: Are you pleading guilty to murder in the first degree in this case because you killed Dr. Martin Luther King under such circumstances that it would make you legally guilty of murder in the first degree under the law as explained to you by your lawyers? Ray's answer was barely audible on the recording system used by the
1: court. What he said was, quote, Yes, legally guilty. Uh Uh-huh. Three days after his guilty plea, James Earl Ray petitioned Judge Preston Battle to change his plea to not guilty. Often in the interests of justice, such a petition is granted, and many observers expected Judge Battle to do that. But the day he was to act, Battle was found slumped over his desk, dead from an apparent heart attack, and James Earl Ray was led off to prison, no trial. Years passed, and the vast majority of Americans didn't give the case much thought. King had been killed, and Ray was in prison because he was the one who shot him. But if you lived in Memphis, you might have been aware of strange stories and odd bits of evidence that didn't fit with the official count of the crime. People who heard things, people who saw things, things that didn't fit with the story of a lone drifter killing King. Also, in 1976, during congressional hearings, it came to light that the federal government had been wiretapping King's office and home and bugging his every hotel room. Why was the government so concerned with surveilling King? Was this in any way connected to his death? A man named William Pepper thinks it was. Pepper was a friend of Dr. King, and he spent many years gathering evidence that tells a very different story than the one we've all been told. Evidence about who really killed Martin Luther King and why he was murdered. In April of 1967, I traveled to New York City to join a massive anti-war rally. There were more people marching than I'd ever seen. As we approached the United Nations Plaza, we were too far away to see Dr. King, but we could hear his unmistakable voice.
2: Stop the bombing. Let us save our national honor. Stop the bombing and stop the war.
1: Sharing the stage with Dr. King was a journalist named Bill Pepper. Pepper had been a friend of Dr. King, and he had been an important influence on King's position against the war in Vietnam.
5: I, because of my writings on the war, had been asked to introduce Martin King, which I did. It was a very significant movement because Dr. King went against the advice of most of the civil rights leaders who believed that he was going to cost them a great deal of money for their movements with his anti-war position. But that was was the nature of Dr. King. He was a man of conscience. He spoke courageously on that day as well.
1: Fifty years after that rally in New York, I would interview Bill Pepper while working on the RFK Tapes podcast. I wanted his take on the Robert Kennedy murder, and he had a lot to say about that. But he had even more to say about the killing of Martin Luther King because he had spent the last 40 years of his life investigating the murder of his friend. There was more to tell than time would allow, so we agreed to meet again. And one warm afternoon in May, I traveled to Bill Pepper's home in South Harlem where he told me the remarkable story of how he had come to know Martin Luther King and the stunning things he had discovered about the assassination. I got my credentials as a journalist, and I went to
5: Vietnam in 1966. I was seeing whole villages razed and burned, I was seeing children badly injured by the napalm and the white phosphorus. And I was seeing total devastation among the civilian population. So it was clear to me that war crimes were being committed by the Americans in massive amounts. I would heard about things like that, but I'd never seen anything like that in my life. I took photographs as much as I could.
1: Pepper returned to the United States determined to tell about what he had seen but his photographs were rejected by mainstream and progressive publications. He finally found a taker in Ramparts magazine.
5: So the Ramparts piece came out in January of 1967. Martin King noticed as he was going on a trip. The photographs, I think, caught his attention. Then he read the article and asked to meet with me. I showed him whatever additional material that I had at that time And I talked to him about what was going on there, and he wept. He saw all of this horror that was being done by his government. He couldn't believe it. And that was how I became involved with Dr. King. And I became close to him during the last year, but only the last year of his
1: life. Pepper's article and photos helped Dr. King come to grips with the harsh connection between poverty, race, and war. Then on April 4th, 1967, King delivered his famous speech on Vietnam at Riverside Church in New York.
2: When machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered.
1: A year later, Dr. King was dead and Bill Pepper was devastated. But in the midst of the pain and heartbreak, his skills as a campaigner were still being courted, notably by Robert Kennedy, who had just recently announced he was running for president. We went from Memphis to Atlanta,
5: where we buried Martin. And Bobby asked me and others to come up to his hotel to discuss his presidential campaign. And I said, no, I'm
1: through with politics. After King was laid to rest, Bill Pepper went to work in education and at the same time earned a law degree. Ten years after King's murder, Pepper was pursuing a legal career in New York City. One afternoon, the phone rang. It was Ralph Abernathy, King's former number two.
5: Abernathy asked me in 1978 to go up to the prison, Brushy Mountain Penitentiary, and interrogate James Earl Ray. I told Ralph I didn't know anything about the case. I thought James Earl Ray had been guilty, and uh, I had not done any intensive investigation. So I would need some time in order to do that. In August of 1978, I interrogated James for five torturous hours, and put him under enormous stress. And James remained as calm as he could be, and he answered the questions as best as he could.
1: For 10 years, Bill Pepper had thought that James Earl Ray had murdered his friend Martin King, and he entered his interview with Ray still believing that. But the quiet, understated Ray he met wasn't the man he expected to meet. Ray admitted that he had been in Memphis that day, had rented a room in Bessie Brewer's boarding house, and had bought the rifle in Birmingham but he also calmly insisted that he did not shoot Dr. King and didn't know that King was going to be shot. The men spent hours going over and over how it was he came to Memphis and what he was doing when King was killed. Each one of us in our everyday lives has our own ways of deciding whether a person is telling the truth or not. It may be how they meet our eyes or the sound of their voice. But after five hours of questions and answers, Both Bill Pepper and Ralph Abernathy came away with the same judgment.
5: We left the the room believing that he was not the shooter, but we didn't know what role he might have played. But he raised enough questions so that from that time on in 1978, I began to um, go into Memphis and uh, examine specific issues related
1: to the case. As he went deeper into the evidence, Pepper came to believe that James Earl Ray was not only not the shooter, but was himself a victim of manipulation. Eventually, in an incredible twist of fate, Bill Pepper would become the attorney representing James Earl Ray, the man convicted of murdering his friend, Martin King. Pepper was determined to get Ray the trial he never had, and in so doing, revealed to the world the evidence he was uncovering.
5: I came to represent James in 1988. He had been denied relief in the state courts, so we filed a habeas proceeding in the federal district court. We were denied in the federal district court. Then we went to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and we were denied there. Then we filed for uh, a writ of certiorari with the Supreme Court. When we lost our appeal to the, the final appeal to the Supreme Court, we thought that was pretty much
1: going to be the end of it. Though the legal avenues were seemingly closed to them, there was one last recourse open to Bill Pepper and James Earl Ray. The court of public opinion
5: I talked to a producer whom I knew and uh, HBO agreed and so we worked on a, a plan to do an HBO special.
3: Tonight in an effort to probe the mystery of Dr. King's death, James Earl Ray will finally have his day in court. The defense team will be led by William Pepper, an American lawyer who practices in London. Pepper has been Ray's unpaid counsel for the past five years.
5: It would be a, a formal trial with a randomly selected jury from all over the country, a an impartial judge. They asked Hickman Ewing, who was a former U.S. attorney for the Memphis area, and they asked Hickman if he would be lead prosecutor. Hickman agreed, and so we tried the case in '93. The trial was a full knockdown, dragout trial.
4: Prosecution maintains that the um, shot came from a bathroom, the bathroom in the rooming house. The defense suggests and the proof and the evidence indicates the shot came from the brush, from the bushes down below from the backyard.
5: Totally unscripted, we got James uh, to testify by camera and he was subject to cross-examination.
2: I want to show you the chart of the inside of the rooming house. You went up the south stairs, you went and saw Mrs. Brewer, said you wanted a room. It's a fact,
1: is it not? She showed you room 8 first, did she not? She showed me one room first, she said it was a light housekeeping room. And you looked at that room and then y'all walked down over here, she showed you that room and you said you'd take 5B, is that correct? Yes, I told her I wanted a sleeping room, that's correct. This room right here you can't see anything out of, can, it? can you, Mr. Ray? You could have had room 8, or you could have had room 5B, and you chose room 5B. Is that right? Yes, there was two rooms there, and I picked out that one. Okay. Yes. The HBO trial gave Bill Pepper an opportunity to call into question every aspect of the official story.
4: If there is no significance of the brush in the back of the rooming house, why was it cut? to assist the police to find evidence? No, the defense suggests the brush was cut so that it could never be suggested that there was enough brush there to conceal a sniper. Could James Earl Ray cause the scene of a crime to be tampered with in this way? Reverend Hosea Williams, who was one of Dr. King's closest aides, testified for the defense that Martin's hotel room and the hotel itself, the reservations itself, were changed. Could James Earl Ray arrange this? Could James Earl Ray do this? We didn't know the verdict.
5: They kept the verdict as uh, secret as they could. The jury took seven hours plus, and eventually it aired on April 4, 1993, I guess. And we sat up at the at the prison. James was there. Hickman and his team were on the left, and Jeannie and I were on the on the right. And uh, the whole trial played on HBO, and the uh, verdict came out.
4: We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty.
5: When the verdict came out, Hickman was startled. I thought he was going to have a heart attack.
1: Even though it wasn't a real court proceeding, this mock trial demonstrated that the case against James Earl Ray didn't pass the test of reasonable doubt. A jury, when presented with the evidence that Pepper and others had uncovered, decided that Ray was not guilty. This should have been big news, but it got almost no mention in the American press. But it did shake the tree a little, and a few new people came forward with what they knew. At the same time, Bill Pepper published his book, Orders to Kill, where he laid out the case for Ray's innocence and alleged that elements of the government may have been involved in Dr. King's assassination. But most outlets in the mainstream media didn't review it. Considering the importance of the man who was murdered, and the evidence laid out for the reader. The question is, why wasn't it reviewed? The New York Times reviewer was told
5: to pull it. and This was the first time in 25 years that he was told to pull a book review.
1: And so it was pretty clear the story was going to be buried. But the book did reach the hands of an important person who would come forward and change the trajectory of the case. In his years searching for the truth, Bill Pepper had carefully stayed away from the King family, feeling that they had suffered enough. But once his book, Orders to Kill, was published, his work was out there for anyone to see. And one person who bought and read the book was Martin King's nephew, Isaac Farris, who recently sat down with us in Atlanta.
3: I knew that uh, Uncle and Mel maybe was a little different because... One thing I would notice at the Thanksgiving dinners is that he would always be the last to get there, and most times he would, you know, start out by taking a nap. You know, I took note of that, but I really didn't get a sense of of who he was till after he died, and that started the night he was assassinated. We were at home, and the announcement came across the TV Just based on my mother's reaction, I could tell something was up.
1: Farris was just a boy when his uncle ML, as he was called, was murdered. He saw the pain and the devastation it wrought, but he also saw strength in the family. The older generation, including his mother and his aunt Coretta, dealt with their pain by immersing themselves in the creation of the King Center and working towards a national holiday honoring Dr. King. What doubts they had? they kept to themselves.
3: But the younger generation felt less constrained. I would constantly have conversations, theoretical conversations, with my other cousins, particularly his kids, about what might have happened, who might have been involved. To be told that an escaped criminal followed my uncle across the country never sounded right to us. I mean, generally, an escaped criminal is trying to keep a low profile. An escaped criminal is not following a high-profile individual around. So high-profile that law enforcement is probably in the area. So Isaac Farris
1: bought a book on the murder of his uncle, and he was stunned by what it contained. But who was Bill Pepper?
3: I personally did a little investigating about Bill Pepper, the man, because at that point I did not realize that, that there was even a relationship between Bill Pepper and my uncle. And the more and more I looked into the man and the more and more I read his story, things checked out. In January of 97, Farris decided to call a meeting and put the story in front of the family. I said, look, we've all known that, you know, this is not right. You know, we've all said that. We've all admitted that, but we've just kind of stopped there. Here's an opportunity, I think, for us at least if we don't find out every little detail, we can at least kind of put it together. The next step was to bring Bill Pepper
1: to Atlanta to meet everyone and answer questions. According to Farris, it was
3: a tense first hour. First, I guess we were challenging him on his personal integrity. Why are you, you know, doing this? What's your angle here? What, what's your purpose? I mean, are you just trying to sell a, a bestseller? And in a nutshell, we determined that Bill was sincere, that that he felt a sense of responsibility for what happened to my uncle because Bill, uh, during my uncle's lifetime, was one of the people around my uncle who was actually trying to really push him to run for president. You know, I think Bill felt like, you know, whoever assassinated him knew of his plans. And so he felt a responsibility, and, and we accepted that. So once we've got comfortable with him, the man, personally, then it was like, okay, well, let's really look at your case and, and what you're talking about and how did you come to this and, and what's all of this based on? Bill Pepper didn't mind the questions.
1: His friendship with Dr. King had been real, and so was the work he'd done on the case at great personal cost to himself. And he understood that just by being there, he was picking at a scab that covered a deep wound. I think it was
5: uh, very traumatic and devastating for them to come to grips with the fact that this, this good and peaceful man who had the values of not only his faith but of a uh, representative democracy was actually taken away from them and from all of us by governmental action. It's a very traumatic piece of information to digest.
3: But we decided that night, Okay, now, you know, we need to take this to the world. And how do we do that? We agreed to kind of get involved and help him and do whatever we could. And as a result of that, we found out further information. The family's first effort was to aid Bill
1: Pepper's attempt to get Ray the trial he never had. There was an urgency now, because just a few months earlier, Ray had almost died in the hospital from complications arising from cirrhosis of the liver. He had recovered from that crisis, but the clock was clearly ticking. So in March 97, in an effort to get a trial for Ray, Dexter King sat down with James Earl Ray with media present. The meeting lasted about a half an hour, and at one point, King asked Ray the question.
2: Did you kill my father? No, no, I didn't, know." I want you to know that uh, I believe you, and my family believes you, and we are going to do everything in our power to try and make sure that justice will prevail.
3: Isaac Ferris also met with Ray, but without the cameras. I have met James L. Ray. I want to be careful how I say this, but James Earl Ray is not the smartest cookie on the block. Okay. In fact, every crime that he committed, he bungled. I mean, he was just a bungler as a criminal. I mean, if you look at his history, I mean, and he would get caught doing dumb things. One time he he robbed a place and apparently he was barefooted or something and and took high heel shoes from the place I and mean, then he tried to run in high heel shoes away from the cops. But I go back and forth on whether or not You know, James knew, okay, I'm part of a plan to kill Dr. King, or, you know, whether or not he just was a person that was taken advantage of. But his level of intelligence, it's possible that he could have been duped. It's possible he could have been a part of this and never known that this is a plan to kill Dr. King. For a while, it seemed as though the effort to get
1: Ray a trial was going to bear fruit as Bill Pepper got the case in front of Judge Joe Brown, who appeared ready to let them present their evidence.
5: In Memphis, Joe Brown was the criminal court judge who was on the verge of giving us a trial, a new trial for James O'Reilly. Ray. We had made a strong presentation to Joe Brown. He was very skeptical of the official story. He was and is an expert in ballistics and determined for himself that the, the rifle, the throwdown rifle, could not have been the murder weapon, was not the murder weapon. He was on the verge of ruling for a new trial, and it was shortly after that that he was simply removed from the case by the administrative judge, and a new judge was put in who would be more compliant.
1: But on April 23rd, 1998, time ran out for James Earl Ray.
0: James Earl Ray, as we just heard, is dead, and there are fears that the truth about Martin Luther King's assassination may have died with him. Ray died of kidney failure and complications from liver disease on Thursday.
1: With Ray gone, it may have seemed like the end. But it wasn't, because Bill Pepper had one more idea. As new evidence emerged after the HBO trial, it had become clear that one man, Lloyd Jowers, had played some role in the murder. The back door to his bar and grill opened onto the brush-covered yard just opposite King's room at the Lorraine. And a few people who worked for Jowers had come forward with what they had seen the day of the murder. And Jowers himself had made what seemed to be self-incriminating statements. So Pepper went back to the King family, What if they sued this man and various unnamed government agencies for wrongful death? It would be a civil suit, not a criminal trial, but it would represent an opportunity to get the evidence as it then existed recorded under oath in a court of law. The downside was that it would open old wounds. Would the family be up for such an ordeal?
3: Once we became comfortable, then the family felt that they should share this with the world because we knew, even if it was ignored, it's still there in history. So even if 50 years from now, people have a different look on this and are prepared to accept the facts, it's there for them. And the family agreed
5: that we would bring a civil action, and since we had so much on this man, this man, uh, Jowers, we would name him as a defendant, and his lawyer cooperated. His lawyer, Lewis Garrison, uh, was a very good and solid, decent man said his client was just a a pawn used by powerful forces. It was, as you know, a long trial. It was 30 days or so and 70 witnesses. It was a very, very long trial. But it did give us an opportunity to put forward what evidence that we had at that point in time.
1: For over 30 years, Coretta Scott King had borne the grief of her husband's death with grace and dignity. She never expressed a doubt that James Earl Ray had pulled the trigger, although she did sometimes wonder aloud if other hands had helped him do it. But for three weeks in November of 1999, Mrs. King went to a courtroom in downtown Memphis, took her seat, and listened as witness after witness gave their testimony. On the final day, Bill Pepper rose and addressed the jury.
4: Let me uh, close by saying to you that um, long after People forget what has been said in this courtroom. You're going to remember the verdict of this jury because you have heard evidence that has never before been put on in a courtroom. Some of it would have been put on Mr. Ray's trial if he had ever been granted a trial. No one has heard the detailed evidence that you have. On behalf of the family of Martin Luther King, Jr., we ask you to find that conspiracy existed. Once and for all, give this plaintiff family justice and let's cleanse this city and, and this nation of the ignorance that has pervaded this case for so long.
1: After Bill Pepper sat down, the judge gave his instructions and the jury retired to consider the case. But only a few hours later, they returned with a verdict in favor of the King family, finding that the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis had been a planned event and that multiple people have been involved. After the trial, Mrs. King returned to Atlanta. The following day, she called a press conference. This is what she had to say.
2: This verdict is not only a great victory for my family, but also a great victory for America, and a great victory for truth itself. The jury was clearly convinced that in addition to Mr. Jowers, a conspiracy of the mafia, local, state, and federal government agencies were deeply involved in the assassination of my husband. The jury also affirmed overwhelming evidence that identified someone else, not james l ray as the shooter in memphis and that mr ray was set up to take the blame
1: so what did coretta scott king hear in that courtroom that made this reserved careful woman speak in such a definite fashion that's what we'll be looking at and talking about in the next 11 episodes the trial and its verdict should have been a huge story but the american press did not see fit to report on it in any meaningful way what came instead were the op-ed pieces by men already invested in the official story attacking Mrs. King and her family for being dupes or in it for the money, as if there were any.
5: I was disgusted by the coverage, and lack of coverage of the media. The King family was greatly abused. In fact, there were some editorials that were related to them as aiding and abetting treason and terrorism and all of that.
1: The anger over how the King family was treated was still evident on Bill Pepper's face as he showed me the photographs of Mrs. King bravely standing beside him in the courtroom and photos of him with the rest of the King family at a dinner they put on as a thank you for his efforts. And there was a lot to thank him for. Over the years, each time someone stepped forward with new information, Bill would sit them down and record what they had to say. In most cases, they were just common people who finally overcame their fear and answered their conscience. In the end, there were dozens and dozens of audio tapes, in boxes in different places, an attic here, a closet there, and some down at the King Center in Atlanta. Many of the people on those tapes are dead now, but their stories aren't, and you're going to hear them. It's not every day that one gets to shatter a lie as big as this one.
2: I called the
3: union hall, I said, it's a matter of life and death. I said, I think these people are planning to kill Dr. King.
1: The authorities would parade, oh, we found a gun that James Earl Ray bought in Birmingham that killed Dr. King. Except it wasn't the gun that killed Dr. King. James Earl Ray was a pawn for the official story. From iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The plan was to uh, get King
2: to the city because they wanted it handled in Memphis where Daddy and them could handle it.
3: And I've lived with it so long. My children, they, they scared for me. The Lord told me to not the word. I've been wanting to tell it all my life.
1: I'm Bill Kleber, and this is the MLK Tapes.
0: Thanks for listening to The MLK Tapes, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. This podcast is not specifically endorsed by the King family or the King estate. The MLK Tapes is written and hosted by Bill Clayper. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio with producers Trevor Young and Ben Keebrick. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV with producers Jamie Albright and Meredith Stedman. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set Cover art by Mr. Soul 216, with photography by Artemis Jenkins. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer at UTA, The Nord Group, Beck Media and Marketing, Envision Business Management, and Station 16. If you have questions, you can visit our website, themlktapes.com. We posted photos and videos related to the podcast on our social media accounts. You can check them out at themlktapes. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV,